This week in Retronauts, old video games are actually terrible. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 22 of Retronauts Volume 3. I'm your host for this week, Jeremy Parrish, and with me here in the vault. Yes, the vault. I'm not doing this remotely. Thank God. <laughs> no, you're not. Thank God, yes. I'm Ray Barnholz. Now you guys can smell me up close and personal. <laughs> uh, uh. Sandal, sandalwood. Uh, who, who, Sandal. <laughs> who else is that? I'm Bob Mackey. Oh, there we go. And yep. and finally making his volume three of Retronauts debut at long last. I'm Chris Kohler. I'm so excited to be here. Stitcher Award winner, Chris Kohler. Thank is you. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's right. We won so. a Stitcher. Well, we won a Stitcher Award for Good Job Brain uh, last year, um, but it was for Best Album Art, which oh. of course is a wonderful credit uh, to Karen Chu, mm. former Retronauter. Um, right. Karen's been yeah, on Retronauts. She's, uh, oh, maybe yeah. once or twice. Yeah, yeah. you know. But, she you know, still. Ha- she ever it still counts. It she still made counts. the logo. She made our logo. Yeah, she did the original logo. one. Oh, yeah. She made the astronaut so she and made, the rainbow. So then she, of course, made the logo for Good Job Brain, the podcast of hers uh, that I'm on. And uh, But now we actually won Stitcher for Best Games and Hobbies this year, which mm-hmm. means that now when I say I'm a Stitcher Award-winning podcast uh, co-host, it's not just for uh, really good did. art that Karen drew. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, I can actually take some credit. Well, congratulations Thanks. on that. Um... Anyway, so I've asked Chris to come in because we want to talk about things that are terrible about old video games. And that's, kind of. That's what I'm good at. Kind of. Um, the theme of this episode, per backer request from Jonathan Anderson, who I assume is probably not the same John Anderson that was lead singer of Yes for like 30 years. Um, but, you know, there is that prog rock connection here in classic games. Think about it. <laughs> the, uh, the theme is misplaced nostalgia, and that's very vague. So mm-hmm. we're just going to kind of take the ball and run with it. We talk about things we love about old video games on Retronauts pretty often, even though, you know, like to to read comments on the internet who, you know, in response to our episodes, you'd think that anytime we uh, make the slightest <laughs> not-so-positive comment about something that we're, we're, you know, just totally massacring people's nostalgia. But that's not really that's not really true. Like we're willing to take the good with the bad. And I think people don't always like to hear, you know, criticism of things that they hold dear from their childhood. And that's understandable. But I think it's also good to be realistic. Like, yeah, it's understandable. It's also crazy. <laughs> we, we, um, we, you know, somewhat notoriously complained about newer video games in a recent episode. Um, but there's a lot of things that new video games do well. But there's yeah. a lot of things they do badly. But, you know, on the same, on the same token... Um, there's a lot of great things about classic video games and a lot of like really, really stupid, horrible things that I'm glad we've gotten away from. So um, I was thinking, you know, for this episode, we'd, we'd kind of break it down a few different ways and uh, try to fill an hour and a half with, with uh, a vague, directionless sort of discussion. So, you know, I'd like to talk about things, uh, nostalgia for things we never experienced. That was yeah. the actual request. Oh, okay. But I don't really have that much nostalgia for things I didn't do myself. Mm. So I, that's a little tough to talk about. I kind of do because I played a, or I read a lot of video game magazines, mm-hmm. you know, and so there were a lot of games that I didn't play that I'm kind of like in love with the idea of. But when I think back to it, I really don't have a lot of experience actually playing those games. Okay. Well, yeah. then you, you can mm-hmm. fill out the space for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I thought we would talk about nostalgia for things that weren't good um, because sometimes there are things I look back on fondly even though 
in hindsight, I realized they were terrible and and you know just like poor game design, abusive game design. But you know, there's a part of my heart that still loves it just because you know whatever whatever that stupid thing is inside of our brains that makes us love bad things from a long time ago and put on rose tinted glasses. Mm. And then uh, nostalgia for the wrong things. Like sometimes you know it's it's possible to think back and be like, oh, old Capcom games, man. You annoyed was so great when actually what we should be thinking is DuckTales was so great. <laughs> so um, ah. anyway, that's kind of the the general overline of the next 90 minutes. Um, we'll see how it turns out. But uh, without further ado, we can get started. Let's talk about nostalgia for things we never experienced. I don't know if you guys have experienced that. Have you experienced what you haven't experienced? That's better. right. Um, I, I can I can think of one or two examples for myself, but you know, why don't you guys go first? I can. Okay. So I mean, the first thing that jumped to my head was I have I have a huge uh, Castlevania collection. I have like. I have every Castlevania game basically that was released in the U.S. And I only really started playing Castlevania with Symphony of the Night. Like I've, My I played, God. see, I like I messed around. <laughs> this is with almost the other as bad games. as when you hadn't played Super mm-hmm. Metroid when Metroid Fusion came. I know, out, Chris. I know. And you were you were there for that. I know. Thank um, God for me. I went back. Thank God for you. And I went back and resolved that issue. I still don't like Metroid One, and I'm still really not a big fan of Metroid Two. Mm-hmm. Super Metroid though is fair enough. The sure. shiz. Um, but. So like I've messed around with like of course Castlevania One and I think I I think I played a lot of like once I got the ability I think on probably uh, 3ds Virtual Console to do save states you know mm-hmm. like then I then I kind of pushed myself a little bit further into it but I I'm not really that big of a fan of Castlevania One Simon's Quest Three even what? Super Castlevania even Four <laughs> even I mean Rondo of Blood I played it it's a great game but like. I I never I played the first couple of levels. I'm like, yeah, it's cool. Like, but it was it was really Symphony of the Night and everything that I really liked. But I, for some reason, I love love love. You know, going back and like, I I, I like the idea of Castlevania. You know, I really love the mythology that they strung throughout the entire thing. Um, well, in the early days, the, it wasn't really a mythology more so much as like, hey, remember Universal Monster movies? Yeah. Here's yeah. Christopher Lee's Dracula. Sure, right. Kill him. Yep, yep. <laughs> uh, or, or I guess the ret- the retconning of same. Mm. Um, but for some reason, I think, I mean, I just, I love the idea of the Castlevania series, but, but only a couple of the games have I ever really gotten into and played. Yeah. And then I only really played Symphony of the Night once. I played it in 1997, beat the whole thing, and was just like, I mean, I, you know. What, what must like life be like for someone who's only played Symphony of the Night once? Yeah. I, uh, can't, I can't even imagine. Well, How many times have you played through Symphony of the Night? Many. Yeah. I mean, See, within, within the first year of its release from Japan, I probably beat it like five times. Mm-hmm. Like three times in Japanese, twice in English, and then I just kept going. Right. And so there's just so many games for me that I understand are like they're great old games. And even sometimes I just get the urge to go buy all of them and then... But but it's like I, I never I was never that big of a fan of it back in the day. Hmm. Yeah, I have to say I'm in the exact same boat as Chris. 
I, am I think I've only I've Whoa. only owned like maybe what? two or three actual Castlevania games. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, I got some of the night. Like everybody <laughs> else, I, just, I feel yes. the world falling away beneath my feet. I, yeah. It's all right. Get the smelling salts. But <laughs> yes. Jeremy's got the vapors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, sorry. No, it's fine. <laughs> I I mean that's 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 you know that's what makes um, talking about classic video games yeah. so interesting because everyone has their own unique experiences, whereas you guys were like, oh, Castlevania, that seems like a neat idea. Maybe I'll play it someday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For me, like, I was obsessed over the original game because I thought it looked really cool and I wanted to play it, but, you know, Nintendo chip shortages. Mm-hmm. So I literally searched all across the country for the game one summer until I finally, you know, until they finally oh, reprinted it, basically. yeah. So, like, it was this... I wouldn't say holy grail. I mean, I was only searching for it for like three or four months, but mm. still. It, that's a long it time. It takes lifespan. <laughs> that's a lot of space. That's a long time to have your money in hand it waiting is. to buy not uh. only not just a, a rare classic game, but an actual consumer product that is ostensibly available yeah. for sale. I mean, that's yeah. like people wanting a PS4 now, basically, but mm-hmm. but probably more pure because it was <laughs> it was my childhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm with Ray and Chris, but I mean, I, I have deep respect for Castlevania. I love the music, but I'll be damned if I can get past stage three of Castlevania three. Mm-hmm. It's just way too hard for it. Always was too hard for me. Yeah. I, I need to play through on a virtual console or with save states, but I never have yet just because it was always so intimidating to me as a kid. And it's something that I wanted to play more of because I just love how it looked and sounded and moved. It's like this pl- the, the platonic ideal of old school Castlevania, but mm-hmm. I've never finished it. That, you know, Ega feels the same way, actually, because they oh. said it's the DDC. Did you guys, did anybody go to the Castlevania? No, I... The, the, or, I actually me, the, forgot about it. What? I, well, there was a speech at GDC no, 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 no. with the word Metroidvania in the title, okay. <laughs> and you forgot to go. I, I had a really uh, heavy conversation with my boss uh, uh, okay. right right like during that, that time period, so it was kind that, of – That sucks. Yeah, priorities. Yeah. Um, so I didn't make it, but I'll catch it on the GDC vault. And, oh, yeah. You know, I, I did get to have an interview with Iga before, the, oh, okay. before his panel, so you know, at least I'm kind of, you know – on already sort of up to date on where he stands on stuff, That's but I, I am eager to see what he had to say. One of the major things eager that he to said see was Iga. they, um, oh, Ega, you're Ega to Ega, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, he talked about why they designed Symphony of the Night the way they designed it, and he was like, We like Castlevania, but man, we hated falling into pits. Mm-hmm. It's like these games were too hard, <laughs> and uh, you just it, Belmont, he didn't say Belmont Gravity, but he did talk about like when you jumped, there was nothing you could do after that, and uh, and we hate, hate, hate falling into pits. So he feels the same way. He does, <laughs> but I've also heard that he really loves Castlevania 3. Like, he thinks that's one of the greatest games ever made. Maybe he feels the same way that I do, that he looks back on it, and it, you know, it's misplaced nostalgia. Maybe it wasn't. It's not as good as <laughs> he thinks it. I don't know. But having having you know run through the Castlevania trilogy on NES to break down how the game design works. Yeah, like they're really well designed games. Uh-huh. They're uh-huh. they're frustrating by contemporary standards, but they're not unfair. Right. Well, right. maybe Castlevania two with some of the stupid dis- mm-hmm. dis- disingenuous hints. Neil Neil by the cliff. And, yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. Right. That's unfair. But mm-hmm. you know the actual like the play mechanics are. Mm-hmm. Are really solid. They just work under a different rule set, you know. Like mm-hmm. they they work on the same level as Ghost and Goblins, but maybe that game is a little you know less fair than Castlevania by the way it throws stuff at you. And um, you know, Castlevania is more predictable, I think. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of what it boils down to. But you know, I get it. Like that is, I could see you know if you hadn't experienced Castlevania in its you know raw unprocessed form. 
uh, going back to that would be pretty tough. I, I can definitely appreciate that. That's, I, I waited a few years to play Symphony of the Night because I, I assumed it was going to be kicking my ass like the old games did. I, I guess I didn't read up on it enough because I just assumed, you know, this is going to be way too hard for me. But then I played it and I'm like, I have to go back or, you know, Castlevania has changed so that I like it a lot now. And it was that, that and the RPG elements too. So another game that I was reminded of recently that I look back upon with nostalgia that comes from nowhere is uh, Strider. Hmm. Um, I never really, I didn't, you know, we, we had a Genesis, I think we rented Strider back in the day, and I think I played, Did you like, never go to arcades? I, um, I, I never, I went to arcades all the time in Connecticut. I never laid eyes upon a red original oh Strider God, machine, ever. Never. Five young man. <laughs> yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, I played the first level of the Genesis version, and it, you know, it was too difficult for me at the time, because I was like, you know, 12 or whatever, and terrible at video games. Still terrible at video games, but... Um, less patience for it. Mm. Um, like if I, you know, like my the video games that I liked, it was like you know it had they had save points, and if you beat a level, you could try that level again. Mm-hmm. The idea of like getting getting really far and getting a game over and having to go back to the beginning was not for me ever. Like oh, I have a chance to like play it all again and do better. It was like oh god, I just lost everything, and I was more likely to just sort of walk away. At that but you point. you liked mm. Super Mario Brothers, right? That's yeah, the same way. I mean, unless you knew about the whole day trick, but <laughs> I, I didn't even I didn't even know about that until I was uh, just a few years ago, actually. Oh, I think I knew about the the whole day trick like before we ever got an NES. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Somehow I missed out on that one. Yeah, but there was. I mean, when you look at Strider, there was Strider, um, and that was it. Was it, the graphics and music were fantastic, but you know, I never really got that into it as a game. And there was Strider Two, which is not really. It wasn't really you mean that well received. Journey was, into Darkness, right? Uh, no, or do you no, mean the, the the PlayStation, PlayStation version? Oh, okay. PlayStation version. Yeah, we're just not. We're gonna forget about US Thank you. Gold. Yet. Yeah, thanks. Um, <laughs> Tier Tex. Oh yeah. Um, but but then when Strider, you know, was kind of getting revived for. Um, the the you know the consoles uh, just recently, a lot of excitement around it, and it was like it didn't really make up that big of a part of our retro gaming lives. It was like one you know decent game. Uh, speak for yourself. I mean, okay. I, I played a lot of the game back in mm-hmm. the arcades. Like you know, a friend and I would trade off back and forth until we finished the game. We beat it a few times in the arcade, and we rented the NES game, which was. Something totally different, but like I, I played the NES game a lot because it had that kind of you know even though the play control was really janky, mm-hmm. um, it still had that sort of you know free roaming exploratory Metroidvania if you want to say it yeah um, style. So I you know I played the I, NES I really, game for like five minutes. <laughs> I was like I don't like it. Was, this. It was right. a hard sell, but there was just enough of the arcade game in it and enough different that I was like I want to see more of this, and yeah. I, I ended up enjoying it even though it's weirdly crappy for. a an internally developed Capcom game from mm. that era. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was like, you mean the NES one, right? Yeah. Uh, that was like, I think the first time they were trying like bigger sprites or something. <laughs> Could it's be. Like right. sprites are a little bit taller than Mega Man. I mean, it, it kind of... All of a sudden that me, falls apart. Yeah, to me it almost feels like they were doing like a warm-up for Street Fighter 2010. Like <laughs> yeah. the games have a similar kind of feel, but Street Fighter 2010, weirdly enough, is a much more polished game. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Maybe maybe the reason, Jeremy, that you're conflicted about this particular topic is you have no misplaced nostalgia. Uh, maybe, maybe. <laughs> like you only you only ever played games that you loved, and if if you didn't play it, you actually have no like a phantom nostalgia that, for it. That that's entirely possible. Well, no, okay. So let me let me talk about my example, which is actually the inverse of your experience with Castlevania, because it's a game that you played when it first came out. But I didn't play until several years later, which was Final Fantasy V. Oh. So, you know, Final Fantasy V came out on the Super Famicom in mm-hmm. Japan only in 1992. Yes. And I know you played that and you, like, 
cut your teeth learning Japanese on. Yeah, I got it in ninety four. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So like by the time it came out in the U.S. in nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, yeah. As part of Final Fantasy anthology, you know, it was seven years old at that point. But you were, you know, you were an old pro at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like they ripped off your your online fact to write the official strategy guide they for did. it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like you're 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 part of the DNA of that game. Mm-hmm. Um but for me, you know, it was something totally new. And I'd played Final Fantasy, I'd played Final Fantasy two uh when it first came out on Super NES. Yeah. And then, you know, Final Fantasy three and then Final Fantasy seven. And of course I was excited about Final Fantasy eight at that point because they came out around the same time. But um obviously I'd missed the real two, the real three and five. So when I sat down to play five, um I just had this really strange, almost like out-of-body nostalgia. Like, I felt incredibly nostalgic playing it, even though I'd never experienced the game. And I was just taken back, you know, to the experience of playing Final Fantasy IV, uh, you know, on the Super NES when it first came out, like renting it on weekends. And, you know, it was like cold and wintry outside at the same way that it was when I was playing Final Fantasy Anthology. And there was just like, you know, even though I was in a very different place, like, uh, you know, junior high school versus college graduate, mm-hmm. you know, in, the, in those seven years. Um, like, I, w- I don't know. Like, I just had this this kind of connection to that time in the past. Yeah, it shows you how strongly just that aesthetic yeah, uh, yeah. connected mm-hmm. with you and, and, yeah, like marked that time of your life. The one thing I wasn't nostalgic for was the uh, the load times. Oh, that God, was That yeah. was not part of my memory. <laughs> <laughs> but the crappy translation – that was a nice throw. I remember emoticons <laughs> were used in that translation as dialogue. Oh, like there's like a smiley happened. face or something. Yeah. Oh man, I could be thinking of the fan translation, but I don't think I am because I, I was kind of shocked to see it. Yeah, I don't mm. quite remember. This was like you know, way more time has now passed between the um, mm-hmm. the Final Fantasy anthology version of Final Fantasy V than had passed between its actual release. Twice as much. Yeah. Actually. <laughs> yeah. My God. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> yeah, but that that the uh, the sensation it evoked is still like I still remember that really really vividly. Mm-hmm. I wanted that because I remember seeing you know the first shots of it I guess ninety two ninety three or whatever in a magazine you know the scene where you're going across the bridge and there's that big mountain range in the background I was like wow that looks gorgeous. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then after a couple of years like I kind of give up hope ever seeing it in America. Yep. It finally comes out on on, uh, on the on anthology, and I don't finish it. <laughs> it's like. Oh. It, the magic wasn't there anymore. Oh, oh, right. And, you know, nowadays, I mean, I think at the time, like, especially because it didn't come out in America and, and you know, it originally and kind of generate that kind of cult following, people maybe felt that Final Fantasy V was the weakest of the three, you know, major Super Nintendo Final Fantasies. Oh, yeah, I hear that. Yeah. Um, but now, nowadays, I think it, it, it you, you probably would find a large contingent of people who might, could make a passionate argument that it's like the best. Well, it depends on what you're looking for. I yep. mean, in terms of just like pure driven narrative, Final Fantasy IV wins hands down. But, you know, mm. for actual game mechanics, like let's make a an interesting, challenging, uh, you know, game with just an immense amount of player choice and yeah. agency and freedom and still make it balanced, you know, all the way through, like, no game does that like Final Fantasy V, and that is why, you know, like once or twice a year, hundreds, maybe thousands of people now get together online and play through Final Fantasy V with bizarre self-imposed restraints on how they play yep. for the sake of raising money for charity. Mm-hmm. Like, cool. what other kind of game has done that? That's really kind of unusual. But yeah, yeah. No, at the time, 
I saw a lot of people complain about how, well, this game is overrated. You know, like, I've been waiting all this time for this game, and mm-hmm. it turns out it wasn't really that good, and it's just people were blowing it up in their minds because they couldn't play it. Well, now right. I'm smart enough to see that it's stupid, but mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I think it's a really good game. I have a few pretty broad examples. Uh, as many of you might know, I am a recovering Japanophile. <laughs> I just got my 10-year chip, and you're never really cured. So, you know, um, I'm always struggling with it. But because of that, um, like, anything with an anime aesthetic that looks like it was made, like, prior to maybe 1999, I immediately have, like, I have an immediate interest in it. Okay. So if, if that anime is there, I'm already slightly on board. So, like, tiny, low-res Sega CD full-motion video of anime are, are you Are you talking about, like... Really, really poofy hair. Yeah, and yeah. like that and kind of you like, know, like uh, big eyed look, but very yeah. uh, like a soft like, style compared to. Well, that's you know, that's the, more like late eighties, early nineties. But I'm on board with that too because that's like your Sayatsura dirty pair, like you know the poofy hair, <laughs> right, the rounded yeah, yeah, faces, yeah. the bigger eyes. But right. even like when the nineties, when the hair got like super detailed with like crazy uh, bangs like and mullets and, and everything, just like became that. more angular and sharp. Right, right. But anything with that um, with that aesthetic, I, I just immediately have affection for, even though. I didn't really see anime until maybe the late 90s, and then I was on board for maybe five or six years. But just just anime aesthetics in general, I am I am just I don't know. There's I didn't grow up with it, so it is misplaced nostalgia. Mm. I wanted to, you know. Yeah, I, I can relate to that. I mean, I I have a real fondness for that, like uh, you know the the stuff I was talking about, the 80s, 90s, early 90s style mm-hmm. of, of anime and manga, where it is kind of like a little softer, a little more rounded. Like, characters could be kind of chubby and kind of cute. Right. Everyone um, was not a four-year-old child. Right. <laughs> I mean, like, there was this kind of often a sexy element to it, but it was like this non-threatening sort of sexiness. It didn't seem exploitative. Yeah. It was just like, oh, here's this, like, little chubby, cute character in a bikini. That's it was fun. more, like, cheeky <laughs> than, like, Yeah, perverse. exactly. Like, <laughs> I don't like know Betty if you're – are you something. familiar with the uh, the Japanese cover to the Famicom version of Athena? Yes, yes. Uh, I think it's Athena. You know, like, in America, it's, you know, this kind of, like – it's it's a pretty cool painting, actually, like, the sort of – um, stylized painting of, you know, basically the classic vision of uh, Nike or Athena, like armored up and holding a sword and everything. Mm-hmm. But in the Japanese version, it's like this bright pink box. Yeah. And it's this, you know, one of those kind of like chubby cartoon characters and she's wearing just a bikini and like leaning like against a... her sword. And it's not it's not sexy at all. Like, it, you know, it's, not, it's even though she's wearing, um, you know, bikini armor, it doesn't seem like it's pandering at no, all. It's no. just like, hey, here's this cute little warrior woman. She's going to go kill stuff and it's going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. Of course, the game's not actually awesome, but it's not. <laughs> the, 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 the box kind of speaks of this sort of fun, whimsical vibe that I really like. Yeah. Probably, yeah. The, 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 I think the bright pink really helps with that. That's, that's where a lot of misplaced nostalgia comes from, is probably looking at like a screenshot or the box mm-hmm. art of something and right. being like, wow, that must be a good game. And then 20 years later, you know, you never actually played it, right? But then you're thinking, when somebody brings it up, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that game was... That game was good, right? It's like, no. No, it was actually just horrible garbage. And uh, it's easy to say this because the U.S. box art is so much worse. But with Mega Man, I love the Japanese box art because oh, yeah, it's yeah. those little chubby cartoon characters. It's like every mm-hmm. every box has like the entire like chubby robot lineup on the so cover. basically we're nostalgic for chubbiness. Yeah, chubby, cute cartoons. Back, back when the world was plump. Yeah. <laughs> um, a lot yeah, more I mean, calories back I, I always liked um, 
you know, when I saw it uh, and and finally discovered the original Mega Man box art, that like not only the the style but the consistency, like mm-hmm. all the way even through Mega Man Nine and Ten, where they would create fake box art um, with that Keiji Inafune art style. Like I really appreciated that that sort of you know consistent branding, and you know the other Mega Man series. Mega Man X and, and Battle Network and Legends and everything, you know, they had their own kind of different, distinct art styles. But classic Mega Man always had, like, basically Keiji Inafune drawing stuff with markers and shipping it. Like, yeah, you know, that, there, there was something kind of almost amateurish about it that I really was uh, was drawn to. Mm-hmm. And if I can go on with my other example, uh, I I started playing adventure games in the mid '90s with LucasArts, and because of that. I, I love reading about adventure games from before that time, and I love just, like, the idea of all these adventure games existing, but maybe, like, uh, just a handful are worth playing or playable as more than just historical objects that are just kind of interesting, you know, the stories behind them or the stories within them. I don't know if anyone can uh, identify, like, oh, for, for me, like, 90% of Sierra's catalog is, like, I can't even touch it because it's oh. just um, so it's made for such a different audience than, like, the modern... You know, adventure gamer. It was made for you to sit with for months, you know, and like go back right. to when you have like an icebox moment, like oh yeah, yeah, and then you go back into the game, made to be replayed over and over and over again. And I just feel like I'm not that person. I might have appreciated it more if I was that person, but I can only appreciate them as um, just these artifacts rather than like something I can actually play. Mm. I'd probably be pretty ticked off at like King King's Quest three, you know, if I was made to play it today, because I never I, I never actually played King's Quest uh, three. I think I played like. Probably started with five, I think, you know, and then I was always very much like if I got stuck a little bit, I'd be like, oh, run to a fact and, you know, read the uh, ah, the, yes. the answer. Um, but King's Quest three, um, which my wife really enjoys, is like it. I watch her play it and she's telling me about all the things that it does to F with you because like it's the one where you're the boy and you're uh, – the, you know, the wizard has kidnapped you and like you're his slave and like you have to like creep around the house and try to escape in the first kind of act of the game. But then like – if he catches you carrying an item you're not supposed to be carrying, he punishes you and, you know, kind of sets you back or you die or you have to reload and you have to, like, constantly hide your stuff under your bed. Like, you have to do all of this garbage. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. There's so many ways that you can just get screwed over. Um, and I'm, I I have no desire, basically, to go back and do that. But, yeah, when I think about King's Quest, it's like, oh, yeah, King's Quest. That was great. Yeah, I mean, if we want to talk about games that – we wish we could like, which I guess hmm. we kind of are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, pretty much the entire Infocom catalog was that way for me. <laughs> Whenever I <laughs> hear a description of an Infocom game, it's like, oh so my, God, I totally want to play that. But I, like, yeah. I, oh, I'd love to play all the way through of Mind Forever Voyaging and just experience how unusual that game is. But mm-hmm. yeah, when I sit down at a, a text parser, I'm like, mm. yeah. I mean, it was it was one of those those were games that you know, growing up, I I heard about and knew about. I would, you know, like I, I've said before, I would check out computer magazines from the uh, from the library to go try to enter the programs in the back into mm. our home computer uh, with varying degrees of success. And you know, I would I would flip through some of the magazines, and the Infocom articles always seemed so so interesting. They were about these really unusual stories. Plus, you know, when I was a kid, I would I loved the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy trilogy back when it was a trilogy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how old I am. <laughs> um, and. Uh, the fact that they had a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy video game that was, you know, like very heavily based on the style and, and tone of Douglas Adams' work. Like he collaborated on it, didn't he? Mm-hmm. I Steve believe Oretsky? so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like that sounded fantastic. But we didn't have a computer that we could um, play it on. So <laughs> it wasn't yeah. until, you know, like well into the 90s that I finally had access to Infocom's games. 
And so I sat down with the Infocom Treasures or whatever it was called. Um, and I got through Zork and I really enjoyed Zork. But then Zork 2, like they started to expand on the game concepts and put more like puzzle elements and more role-playing elements. Mm-hmm. And I just like for whatever reason, the, the simplicity of Zork worked. But you know, with the sequels and the, the other games, Deadline and whatever, Sorcery or Enchanter, that's it. Um, I just I never could really get very far into them, and I just didn't have the wherewithal to make myself get into them. But I love them conceptually, like the the concept, the idea. If I'd mm-hmm. played them in 1983, 1984, I would have been a lifelong fan. But and what you were coming in ten years later is, was you know make maps and you oh, know yeah, play no, it over that. and over and over and just you know sort of note to yourself like everything that was going on so you could finally go back and do it. Yeah, right, but. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it takes a lot of discipline and, you know, when I hear about right. people who can't play old NES games because, like, you know, it's just not friendly enough, I, I get it. Because mm-hmm. I I was the same way with old PC adventure games. Yeah, that was it. They were made for an era where there were uh, few, far fewer things to do with your time than, um, you know, because yeah. now there's distractions at every turn, so. I guess, but I mean, being a kid helps with that too. I guess so, yeah. yeah I mean, <laughs> you could bear down on something because you're a kid and right. you have all the time you need. Yeah, summer yep. vacation. Yeah, but I don't know that Infocom games were really meant for kids, not because they were written I, at a, an older... I mean that. Oh, okay. Yeah, same here. Same <laughs> I was going to say, like, people who owned PCs back then probably weren't kids. They might have had kids, but... But yeah. Yeah, but when you're a kid and you're bored and there's something like that, like, you're going to throw yourself at it. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'm sure a lot of precocious kids were into that whole Hitchhiker's Guide, at least. Oh, yeah, yeah. So. No, I had I had friends who would uh, who would bring, like, their secret hint books with the mm-hmm. the uh, the markers that you use to reveal the, the tips and stuff. Yeah. For Hitchhiker's Guide to the to school and be like, look at this. This is cool. <laughs> right, right, right. It's like, oh, I want to play that, but I right. can't. And I never I, – I, I don't think I – Ever, even as a kid, even having access to tons of text adventures, it just never, I never played one. You know, I, I, I play a couple of minutes of them and I just would just get bored and walk off. <laughs> yeah. You. you haven't really um, you haven't really spoken up with any of your misplaced nostalgia or things you haven't experienced but would love to have. Yeah, I was thinking about it, and uh, you know, I sort of talked about it on the wrestling episode a while back. It's just sort of like, yeah, I wasn't ever really into wrestling, but I sort of get it, and I sort of understand where people come from when they have that sort of nostalgia for that sort of thing. And so, you know, when we were talking about wrestling games, it's like I could sort of see myself playing those games, even though I was never really into that whole uh, part of, of that whole mm-hmm. spectrum there. So there's that. Uh, some other things, I mean, uh, I don't know really. It was hard to think about it actually <laughs> as terms of things that I didn't actually directly experience. Uh, I mean, were there any games that you looked at in magazines and thought, oh, I want to play that? Yeah, of course, but nothing really jumps out right now. I think it was just a lot of outlying like NES games that, I just couldn't afford at the time. Things that I would, yeah, again, come back later and play like a ROM or something and be like, yeah, well, that's okay. Or maybe that's better than I thought. Like, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, no great examples, really. <laughs> but, yeah. 
I guess maybe I'm, I'm a little bit the same way. I mean, I've, I've talked about a few things, but I think some, you know, what Chris said about me is, is actually not too far off. I, I, I think, you know, as a kid, I was kind of realistic about what I could actually have access to and didn't see the sense in torturing myself with, with things that were beyond my reach, beyond what my parents could afford or whatever. So, you know, I, I would flip through magazines and kind of just flip past all the stuff I couldn't have and focus in and, you know, on what they had to say about the games that I really did want and intended to buy or that I already owned and wanted tips for or whatever. Um, so maybe I, you know, I, I was somewhat limited by the fact that uh, I'm pragmatic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have nostalgia for looking at, like, an import store ad in a magazine where they would sell Super Mario World for, like, $99. <laughs> I want that. I mean, I mean, I Oh, yeah, that was fun. Yeah. The the black and white ad listings in the back of, of EGM or whatever, and they would just list all these games, and they'd be like, we have Super Famicoms. You can get yeah. one with Super Mario World, and it's $800. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm nostalgic for the weight. <laughs> for that, yeah, waiting for, for that for the for the days when, and this is definitely misplaced nostalgia because I, if I had to choose between the two, I definitely pick today, where literally any video game is just you know sort of at my fingertips and you know immediately if I really want it. Um, but like the days when there was just stuff that was just so unobtainable, and you know the idea of like having to pay ridiculous amounts of money and uh, and 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 wait for six to eight weeks for someone to ship it right. to you. Like the wait for Final <laughs> Fantasy V when I did order it was just freaking interminable. I mean it was – they sent it ground from California. Then it took it took weeks <laughs> after I paid them right. to get the game. Yeah. yeah. I could just see it sitting on a train seat going across the country. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Meeting all kinds of people. <laughs> You've had quite the adventure, little cartridge. <laughs> Singing Paul Simon's America as it goes. Um yeah, I I didn't even really look through the the import ads because again, you know, like I would see the prices, mm-hmm. you know, two hundred dollars for a video game. Maybe I don't want to do that. Um, but I was always fascinated and always wanted to try out the black bass because <laughs> because in Funko's catalog, inevitably during the NES era, you know, um, they had their mail order trade ins. Like the black bass was always worth like three times as much as any other NES oh, game. Oh yeah, like, you know yeah. you could get twenty dollars to trade in Battletoads or sixty to trade in the black bass. I was like, what's so great about this black bass mm. video game? I need to know. It turns out it's just a fishing game that you know they didn't make many copies of. Yeah, right. I mean now it's <laughs> common as dirt, but right. like at the time people really wanted to play it because it was a really good fishing game, hmm. and adults had more money, so they would buy black bass. Ah yes, yes. How's yeah. about that? Yeah. <laughs> a mystery of childhood <laughs> solved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good example. Now I can tell you about things I was nostalgic for that I know no one else liked. Yes, do. Uh, like Bubsy 1. <laughs> yep. Oh, so we've moved into the nostalgia for things that aren't very good. Oh, okay. If you yeah. want to, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, well. let's talk about what? Bubsy 1. Were you drunk on Bubsy Mystery? What was happening? I don't even know. I just, I, God, I wish I could articulate it. <laughs> um, well, Obviously, the rest of them afterwards sucked. Yeah. They all sucked. I think we're all in agreement there. But there's something about the first game, I think, just did not strike me as totally horrible. But <laughs> I don't know. Something about the music, something about the physics. I know people – it's all the things that people bitch about about this game are just sort of like, yeah, you know, it's kind of neat. That's how I think of it. Hmm. But, yeah, the rest of them were total crap. I, I convinced myself for a while that I really liked that game until one day I woke up and played it and it was just like – this game's not good. Well, there's I, a difference between you and me. See, I didn't wake up yet. <laughs> ah, I was okay. the same way about Earthworm Jim. Yeah, that yeah, that took a long time, I think, because, like, 
I think it was only a couple of years ago when I read like Derek Yu's blog posts about deconstructing Earthworm Jim and how crappy it really is. Yeah, yeah. Like I felt like it was such was a prestige like, God, yeah. game, but going back to it now, I f- it felt like these this game feels half finished. The difficulties yes. all over, especially part two, where there are like there are basically like only a few kinds of levels and just like the standard platform levels they just, they just yeah. use different assets like oh this you're running around on meat in this level now you're running around on, on papers in this level it just it felt like yeah, I don't again, know really a, yeah it's another one where the second game was really not as good or didn't strike it didn't have the same impact but yeah I remember getting caught up in the hype for the first one yeah, well I, I think I think a big part of the appeal of Earthworm Jim was its audacity yeah, yeah. like it it was so outlandishly animated so so much attention was poured into the way it looked and you know was it the first one where you had the heck level and it, yeah. plays, it starts out with, like, Night on Bald Mountain and then it turns into mm-hmm. jazz and, you fight and like elevator music. Yeah, like, stuff like that, that was funny. Like, you didn't see that in, in video games out of Japan. You saw, you know, funny things in a different way, like funny weird, not funny ha-ha. Yeah. Right. Sort of um, took but, the comedy but Earthworm, the... yeah, Earthworm Jim was kind of, you know, like, LucasArts snark yeah, turned right. into a platform action game for a console, which, I mean, like, you didn't get a lot of that. You got Maniac Mansion on NES, and that was about it. Right. Yeah, and that was also the time when, like, TV cartoons were getting a little bit uh, kookier in that sense. Yeah. Animaniacs, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Of course, Earthworm Jim would be a kid's WB cartoon, but (laughs) not as good as the actual game content. But, yeah, I mean, so that that, that spoke to me because I was, like, what, 10 or 11 at the time, and so that's when you sort of, like, develop a sort of affinity for that thing. Um, But then, of course, there's also the Doug to Naples thing. (laughs) Oh, right. <laughs> I think the less so, you say you about know, that, the thing, better. Yeah. Thing, things contributed to sort of decaying opinion about that series. Games that I really, I, I, you know, I I was kind of a hater back in the day too. So, <laughs> so like, you know, if, if <laughs> I would I would write scathing reviews of bad video games in general, and I'm trying to think if there was anything I was really suckered into. Um, I need to go back and read some of your zines sometime. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. The Strong Museum wants my uh, my my fanzine collection, not like not just you know the ones that I wrote, but like because I kept I traded mm-hmm. with fanzine, sure, sure, sure. you know, for a long time. I have a giant Rubbermaid tub of video game fanzines. So um, got to get those archived somehow. Yeah, but that makes sense because then you were like training yourself to have an opinion on things. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So. Exactly. So like <laughs> ever since I was yeah. like 12, 13, I was writing video game reviews. So I was like kind of approaching everything going like, well, what am I going to write about this? Is this good, bad, and different? But the thing is like – but something like um, – I, I for some reason I was thinking of Lagoon for the Super Nintendo, okay, which yeah. I rented. Mm. And like – in the in the pantheon of action RPGs, that's like down 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 near the the very very bottom, and everything else is standing on it. At the on the other hand, on the other hand, today I might actually enjoy going back and and playing it because yeah. you I've know tried there's that. yeah yeah Didn't work. But, oh yeah. really? <laughs> well, maybe I'm wrong. I was thinking like, gee, you know, there's just not a whole lot of like you know Super Nintendo action role playing game style things being made today. Where if I went back and played that, maybe I would actually enjoy it. I wonder yeah. if like the original computer version is better. Oh, I don't know. Was it a PC-88 game? Yes. Mm, Made yeah. by Zoom. Mm, oh, okay. Mm. Yeah, you know, I um, I did the the snarky review thing, too, when I first started out online back in, like, I don't know, 1988 mm-hmm. or 90, 1998. 98. <laughs> 1988 would have been impressive. <laughs> 98, 99. Um, you know, I did that for a little while, and eventually I just kind of got tired of it. Um, these days... It's it's really hard for me to just, you know, 
dogpile on a game, even if I really hate it. I just, I, I, I don't know why. Maybe I'm just too nice. Or <laughs> I'm too aware of the fact that, you know, people put a lot of effort into this and it didn't work out, but it's probably not their fault. It's probably someone else's fault up the, the food chain. So mm-hmm. I, I actually really enjoy going back to old games that aren't necessarily very good and trying to find something good mm-hmm. or interesting about them. And um, something I'm doing right now is like going chronologically through the Game Boy's catalog. Oh, yes. And cool. like no one's really documented the history of Game Boy very much. So that's mm-hmm. something that like I really love that system and I think it's it's really much more profoundly important in the grand scheme of video game history than most people are willing to give it credit for. Every day I am shocked to find, like, I will hear about some black and white Game Boy game. I just discovered Trip World recently. Oh, really? Oh, my God, this is amazing. Oh, Oh, my God, it's $3,000. What? Well, did you get it? I mean, it's on the Japanese 3DS. No, I I wrote an article about, once I discovered it and downloaded it for three (laughs) bucks instead of, you know, a thousand times. Yeah. I was like, hey, guys, uh, you know, a Japanese 3DS can actually pay for itself. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, And, and, of course, it it requires zero translation you right. know so it'd be really easy to bring yeah, out yeah, over here yeah. so but yeah but i mean never I, ever do it right yeah. but um I'm, I'm, I'm kind of experiencing this this uh weird sort of false nostalgia in that regard because looking at you know some of this like first year uh game boy stuff from japan that never came over here there's actually not that much of it like uh-huh. most early mm-hmm. game boy stuff was translated mm-hmm. um right. but it's just interesting because i didn't own a game boy until 1998 uh, so it was, that was something I was always kind of on the outside looking in at. Yeah. And, you know, like some of these early games are really super primitive because they're basically a step above Game & Watch LCD, you know, uh, watch games. Yeah. A lot, lot of Sokoban. Yeah, a lot of Sokoban, <laughs> a lot of puzzle games. Uh, yeah. Yep, first, yep, the first yep. few years, yeah, lots of puzzle games. Yep. But, um, you know, some of them are really clumsy and some of them are really lousy, but when you kind of look at them in the lens of where they were in time, it's uh, I don't know, like I... I I guess I feel almost like a sympathy for them. Like, of course you were still <laughs> sort of crappy because you couldn't be anything else at that point. Like, the world around you just hadn't expanded and evolved enough. Like, people, you know, you look at Super Mario Land and that's that's basically barely more than an LCD watch game. Mm-hmm. Like, everything's so tiny. And, you know, it was done to make it more playable. And, and I think because maybe the designers didn't realize, hey, we could move big sprites around or they thought, well, maybe if we move big sprites around, it's going to suck. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know those same people went on to make Super Mario Land 2 and the Wario Land games mm-hmm. which do amazing things with the Game Boy hardware and are still a lot of fun to play mm-hmm. but you know there's this kind of historical element to it and when I when I go back and play these games like I don't know like I see that they're bad but I also see what's good about them and what's kind of important Mm-hmm. There are some games that just have no redeeming features, but I think I think, are, Mario, I think Mario Land One is good. I'm just gonna yeah, throw that in there. Yeah, so no, I think yeah, it's really yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, given you know the limitations and sort of expectations on handheld games at that point, like because I remember because it was the I, first. Yeah, you know, I mean, I remember yeah. I remember Before playing Microvision. Okay, yeah, I did play that back in the day because my brother had a Game Boy and occasionally would let me borrow it, but yeah. once. Once I beat Super Mario Land in a single sitting, and he had never beaten it before, right? Um, <laughs> that, my my access to his game system kind of ended. Ah. But um, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, like that that game is is fun. It's very primitive, but you know, like it was a it was a major step forward in, in portable game design. Like there had been nothing along those lines on a handheld system. Right. It was Super Mario Brothers, a little bit weird, but Super Mario Brothers yeah. that you could play in the car. Mm-hmm. Whoa, mm-hmm. that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it was. <sighs> It was weird in a way that and now Mario we have games Super Mario are 3D Land, and we're yeah. like, uh, yeah, okay, Super Mario 3D Land that I can play in the car, okay, whatever. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> 
Oh, Mario 3D Land is great too. Yeah, but mm. yeah, you're just saying it's weird and But it's not it's it, Mario Mario Land is weird in a way that they won't let Mario games be weird these days, mm. for sure. Yep. I think part of that is it was barely localized. All the enemy names are just like Oh yeah, they're all like Japanese. Yeah. 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 Puns yeah. and yeah. Yep. Sure. Well, I mean, not to turn And like this going into... through like, you know, the weird elevator blocks that would like Break the geometry and like lift you through things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All on purpose, I'm sure. Oh, right, right. Oh, right. Yeah, exactly. It's all just really strange. And oh, 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 oh. In in <laughs> in, right. in. I know this is getting too positive for this show, but like I just love <laughs> okay. the fact that did you discover that like if you were big Mario, you could get through the small Mario passages yeah. by ducking and jumping and moving forward. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know that that was great to discover that because it's like you you effed up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's wonderful. Well, yeah, sure. I mean, I could give you lots of misplaced nostalgia about Game Boy stuff mm-hmm. because, uh, well, unlike Jeremy, I mean, I was there. I was, you know, seven or eight when that was starting to get really big. And so, you know, I would get games like Wizards and Warriors X, which is a steaming pile, but oh, I can totally, yeah. I can totally place myself, you know, where I bought it, that what day it was, right. what car mom had at the time, and, you know, <laughs> <laughs> the entire trip we took as I played it for the first time. In that. Uh-huh. So, I mean, hmm. you know, things like that for sure. I thought of something that I have nostalgia for that is objectively cruddy and probably objectively ugly. Mm-hmm. Uh, PlayStation graphics, I have an incredible affinity yeah. for just because... That warping, lack of Z-buffering, yes. everything is all distorted just sort of like tracing the library over the year because every game was like a, a new attempt to try something uh so like they would like people would eventually get more artful about the mix of 2d and 3d assets but they had there were so many limitations that every game looked different and i mean it, they're hard to look at these days some of them especially on an hd tv but like some of them just like every year you were just like i wonder what games are gonna look like this year because there were so many changes happening which oh, is yeah. not i think we're, we're kind of like frozen in time now as to how mm-hmm. games can look but back then it was just like Every time you played a new game, um, you would see something new, like a new effect, a new a new way to you know have three D happen. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the Square games back then were always just kind of pushing envelopes forward. And if you would take away the the lack of perspective correction in Vagrant Story or bump up the frame rate in Chrono Cross, those games actually still look really good. They do, yeah. yeah. You but you know, that. those were kind of the exceptions. And yeah, like something like Jack- Jumping Flash, that's that's. An eyesore. It's a mm-hmm. fun, fun yeah. game, but wow, my eyes. You know, what's, you, you know what's going to insult. What's yeah. going to come back is uh, low polygon aesthetic. Mm-hmm. That's going to be the new uh, pixel art. I actually saw there was somebody. I, I I don't even know who this was, but it was like something that was getting retweeted constantly, and I saw it pop up in my timeline, and it was like a low polygon. Um, bowl of ramen that oh yeah, this yeah, yeah. Digital... I just saw that. did you yeah. see this oh, okay yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah they were really cool I was it's like, great okay yeah. yep and it's like maybe like seven polygons and mm-hmm. low-res textures and he's just like yeah hey, i created this low poly bowl of ramen people are like oh so cool i'm like crowd shading yeah it's gonna be big it's just like you, it, you mark my words yeah and it's like this this is cool yeah, yeah. like in the same That'd way uh, sprite graphics needed some abstraction i enjoy the abstraction of early 3d graphics yeah because they had to make the most of the the, the geometry they had so it was mm-hmm. always really interesting or always even if it was ugly it was like I kind of appreciate what they tried, you know. Yeah, I right. mean this, that was that was a medium in which artistic vision was really important because you could have a game like Flashback or no no uh, what was it called Out of Time the the like the Out of this World no no it was mm-hmm. it was the 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 PlayStation iteration that was 3D oh. Uh, time uh, something. Fade to black, I think. Fade to black, that's it? Yes, fade to black. You can have that and you can have System Shock. And both of those are kind of going for the same thing, you know, Mm -hmm. first person, third person, whatever. But sort of same environments and same sort of 
general game experience, but System Shock looks so much better mm-hmm. just because the art direction is so much better. Right. And Fade to Black is and it is but I mean it is but it's, it's really <laughs> disappointing because you know that was kind of inspired by another world. It's sort of from that same series. I don't know if it has some of the same people working on it. Not the same it. guy, but definitely inspired by right. Out of This World. But, like, Out of This World looks a lot better because it just kind of works within the limitations of its medium, whereas Fade to Black was like, let's be more detailed and amazing, and mm-hmm. it's right. gross. And I can think of a game I love, Interstate 76. All the characters look like they're from the <laughs> Dire Straits Money or Nothing video. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is ten years later than the game takes place, yeah, so it's yeah, using yeah. like the grammar of eighties graphics for the story that takes place in the seventies. Yeah. But the characters have no faces, no mouths. Uh, all their their geometry is super basic, but they, they look so great. I love how the characters look in that game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I still love the original Metal Gear Solid and the fact that no one has faces. They yeah. have like <laughs> shadows where their eyes are, and like kind of a line for their mouth, mm-hmm. and they just have this like sort of stiff puppet motion, but. That actually, to me, that works better than the Twin Snakes where yeah. everything is kind of badly done and sort of mimicking. Yeah. yeah. Oh, have you guys played uh, Jazz Punk? No, I, I saw that. It looks really cool. Gotta play Jazz Punk. Okay, yeah. Cool. Cool. Tons and tons of early 90s nostalgia jokes, references, but mm-hmm. really, like, really funny. Like, not just like, I tried to sit down and write some good humor like, funny. Like, hey, material. guys, you know what about all your bass? They belong to <laughs> right, us. Yeah, I know. Nothing, nothing that obvious. Just very, very uh, physical, um, you know, graphics uh, funny. Hmm. Um, no, it seemed it, interesting. Yeah. I just didn't have a chance to play it. It's yeah. it's really great. It doesn't take too much time to play through. And you particularly, you know, the, I mean, this 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 cast mm-hmm. will, will really enjoy it. Mm. You got to play it. Mm. So do you listeners. Mm. <laughs> Jazz punk. I'm going to admit that um, even though I love it and it was a formative video game experience mm-hmm. for me, the original Metroid's not that good. I mean, oh it's... my god, <laughs> Cloud's part finally. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I broke down the design of it last year, and there's some stuff that it does that's really cool. And like the mm-hmm. start of it, like does a really great job of kind of guiding you and t- teaching you sort of the, the principles behind the gameplay, but. Once you kind of get out into the main game, it's really sort of yeah. aimless. The shafts go on way too long. There's too yeah. much visual repetition. I, um, you can screw yourself over in places. The fact that whenever you start a new life, you have 30 points of health, even if your max is like 600 hit points. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. You just have to grind. Like there's yeah. lots of little elements in that game that oh, they could just tweak it. And they, they did tweak it. They yeah, made Zero, zero Mission. Zero Mission's great. Zero Mission's amazing. It's right, so good. Right, right. And also yeah. the original uh, Metroid... Kind of a hot that was, And that was how I didn't play Super Metroid because I played the original Metroid and I was like, this is bad. And then I played Metroid 2 and I was like, this is slightly better but still not really my thing. And then but Super Metroid when, came out. I'm like, well, I'm not going to spend $60 on something where <laughs> when like I didn't like the previous two games. This no, clearly it was, it was isn't first my party. Thing. It was only $50. Or oh, true. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but when did you play the original Metroid first? In Probably in like – the late 80s, early early 90s. Mm, okay. So 80, by that point it would have been pretty – it was a little Pretty old. dated, yeah. I mean, when yeah. I, I played it. That was the first game I bought for my NES. Got it. So, and, you know, I got an NES end of 88, I think. Mm-hmm. End, end of 87. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, 
So Metroid was still pretty new, and there still weren't a lot of games with that kind of depth. So, you know, when that was the only game you owned besides Super Mario Brothers that you're sick of already for six months, like, yeah. You, oh, you, you'll you get, get to over know it. it. Yeah. You'll get over yeah. it, and yeah. it's it was you it was cool you enough to love it. that yeah. But by the t- I think by the time I played it, I had so many options as far as games to play. So many used NES games or yeah, rented I mean, games or rent, computer rentals games or, and used games didn't exist at the time. So yeah. what I had was what I had. Right. I was not one of those kids with like five video games, and I had to just wring all of the maximum satisfaction out of all of them. Like we had tons of like PC games, and we you know we had had an Atari eight hundred. Like we you know we had plenty. Mm. <laughs> So along the lines of what Jeremy oh, pirated, said, of course, but you know, uh, yeah. Yeah. I have a shocking announcement. Uh, Fester's Quest, not that great. I know what you're <laughs> thinking. I know what you're saying. Beloved, I don't classic. know if I can if I can agree with no wait. Uh-oh. Actually, yes. Like, well, I, I want to say it that it takes I, the worst part of Blaster Master and turns it into a full game. Yes, but How I do that. I had like a weird obsession with the game because it was so hard and so weird, and there were just so many items and so much of the game that I couldn't actually experience because it was so hard that I was yeah. just kind of obsessed with like what happens after the point where I keep dying. This when, game has to be huge. Oh, go ahead, Ray. No, let me ask you. Did you know what the Adams Family was at that time? I did. <laughs> did you I have did. To ask? Okay. Um, yeah, because I think there were at least uh, local stations that syndicated them. Oh, okay. So it just it did yeah. seem really weird because there was the they were like twenty years old at that point yeah, or exactly. twenty five years old. But um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was always odd. As long as you like Gremlins too, then I think we're cool. I do. Okay. The game or the movie? The game. Okay, I NES like both. Game. Yeah, I never played that. Yeah. I don't. I think it's one great. of the best Actually, soundtracks on the NES. That that's something maybe I have misplaced nostalgia for because it had a really like I you know saw the <laughs> Nintendo Power spread and I liked the graphics in it, but I never actually played it. Yeah, because you know movie license games. How good that's gonna is that gonna be? Yeah, <laughs> but it's Sunsoft. Yep. Yeah. I, yeah, but so is Fester's Quest. <laughs> there were a lot of games. The Catch Twenty Two. Just... Yeah. I mean, I like you know there there are some games that are bad, but. I will tell you that I really enjoyed playing them and, and, and convinced people to try to play them. Like uh, Rule of Rose on PlayStation 2. Okay. Like yeah. that's – That's the wrestling game, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, it is by – it's by Punchline, which is one of those companies that came this, – this, the, the split of the company Love Delic, right? So like Skip, Fanpool, Punchline. Mm-hmm. Um, it is really, really super janky. Um, I played I, – I played a review copy of it and um, – it was so just nasty towards the end. It's a survival horror game, but it just really just makes it almost impossible for you to, like, uh, not die against enemies. And I had to, like, oh. open up a debug menu and, like, yeah. give myself unlimited <laughs> uh, health refills just to <laughs> scrape through it. But the story is so, so good, weird. Like, mm. the places you go are so freaky um, that I was kind of I, – I, I, I will forgive absolutely the uh, any issues with the – any major, major issues with the actual gameplay yeah. itself and say, like, oh, this is something you got to play. It's that's so, how I, so uh, bizarre. That's how I thought about Killer7. It's, it's a yep. hard game to play, but it's worth right. suffering through just to see the content and mm-hmm. uh, the, mm-hmm. all the weird ideas. And then also on the same line, like Deadly Premonition. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Yep. Yeah, speaking of uh, low poly, I would really, really like for Tale of the Sun to come to PSN. Oh. That's a game I never played. Yeah. And it always seemed really interesting, even though everyone seemed to hate it. Oh. And uh, <laughs> I feel like it's a game that I would probably really enjoy now. Mm. Like it's just totally open-ended and super abstract and like it doesn't even really seem like there's that much to it. But it seems like, you know, because of that, it's a game that I would really enjoy playing on Vita. Just, like, picking it up on occasion, playing a little bit, putting it away. Yeah, true. Mm-hmm. You do have to spend a lot of time with it, though. Is the thing. Oh, yeah? Yeah. 
just because of the fact that you have to like do all this backtracking and mm-hmm. whatnot and trying to stay alive. And I finally sat down and played uh, Doshin the Giant for 64 DD. Ah. Um, that's a mess. <laughs> that's that's a mess. And I started I started playing and I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. And I finally started like reading some facts. Like, and people just thought, oh, you got to do this, you got to do that. It's like, it's just just. I mean, did you guys ever play it at all? Is it better on Game version? Cube, I wonder. It's yeah. So I mean, it it it's in it, uh, Europe and Japan. It's out on yeah. um, GameCube. And basically, like you're this giant yellow uh, giant, and you stomp around this island. But the the very fact of you sort of walking and jumping on it will deform the land, and that's why it's sixty four DD, so they can save all of the different deformations. And then it's like picking up villagers and like getting them to create villages, but then moving them different places like you just sort of like increasing everybody's happiness it was like a Peter Molyneux style kind mm-hmm. of god game yeah, it sounds very like black or white yeah but it's just so so uh, uh, what what is the word I'm looking for abstruse abstract uh, it, so it's it's so uh, opaque uh, to oh, yeah. you to t- try to figure out what exactly it is you're supposed to do mm-hmm. and then the actual doing of it really isn't that fun because like stomping around this guy is really slow and plodding and I really I gave it a go you know I like I, I spent a couple hours you know messing around with it and just like working towards you know what I what I was tr- trying to accomplish and I was just like well 6040d you Good thing suck. you didn't come to America. <laughs> you suck the um, most. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of merit to sandbox games where you just kind of figure out what you're supposed to do and, and experiment and mm-hmm. start things start happening and you start to realize, oh, okay, here's what I'm kind of going toward or, you know, I, here's the goal that I want to make myself go, go toward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the, the mechanics have to be fun. If that's, if that's missing, then it's a problem. And, of course, you know, the same designer as Tale of the Sun, that game as well. Ah. And I think... Oh. Yeah. Well, there you because go. Ah, because of those uh, And Tale of the Sun is interesting because there is no evidence of a tutorial. You know, you don't mm. get any of that. I mean, that sounds obvious. I mean, if you talk about early PlayStation games or whatnot. But even so, like, even the manual is, I mean, it tries to explain things to you, but you still have to really get, you have to feel things out a lot and figure out what's going on. You and, have to, like, collect tusks to make a tower to the sun, right? Yes, but to do that, you have to like not die against these giant enemies and sort of build your uh, build yourself up and build your whole tribe and you know your tribe who sort of acts as like your lives, your life count basically. And so I've yeah. always felt Cubivore was sort of like the the oh, yeah. focused, Ooh, sane, um, <laughs> guided version of that concept. Yeah, like, um, <laughs> it, it did a pretty good job of making you feel like, well, this is weird and kind of open ended, but I kind of get what I'm going for. Mm. True. Cubivore. Cubivore. I have nostalgia for something that I don't think was ever really that great. I don't know if this is controversial. I'm sure people will make uh-huh. message board posts about this, but oh, uh, Dance Dance Revolution. Oh, <laughs> oh, really? Yes. I, I was never good at it, and I always wanted to get into it more mm-hmm. than I actually liked the game because I never liked the, any of the music in the game. It just was all pretty bad. Like, yeah. Um, Maybe like two songs. Was this your rock bottoming and your uh, uh, Japan? Yeah, yeah, it was like the uh, yeah. the alcoholic equivalent of like waking up in a bathtub and, and you're <laughs> full of your own kidney. vomit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like what are the what's everybody else in Japanophile land doing today? <laughs> oh, playing DDR. Yeah, I, I <laughs> mean, I, I've probably been seen playing DDR in public a number of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. No, no, none like not within the last ten years. I'm, but I'm glad yeah. you got out before Moe. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think Moe was what, what got me out. Like uh, I don't want. I mean, there's already some skeevy stuff in anime, but this now it's all skeevy, and I don't want to be associated with it. Yeah, we got. 
got into DDR back in the day. I, I'm not ashamed to admit it. You know, right. like when it was when it was getting popular. You know, I bought the I bought some Red Octane dance pads. You know, mm-hmm. for oh, for the snap. home. Some of the, and the good Japanese versions of DDR, not the crappy American versions, which had like it took out all the good songs from the arcade. You know, yeah. I was you, never <laughs> I was never good at it, but like we played it because that was the thing you did. I think. Fun. Are you gonna dust off those pads to play? What is it called? They're uh, gone. Realm of the Necro Dancer. <laughs> <laughs> what? No, they're like PlayStation Two pads. Like I'm not even really oh, sure okay. how. Yeah, how do you even? Uh, I guess there are DDR pads for for what is Realm of the Necro Dancer for? Is it just PC? I, or? It's, it's just PC for now. Okay. Did you guys? Oh, you weren't at GDC. I was, but I'm I'd sure never, there's a I pad I can get to this. play it. Oh, were you there? Yeah. Oh, I didn't. I didn't see it's you. a it's a top down sprite based dungeon roguelike dungeon hack that yeah. you control oh. with a dance pad. Oh. Right, like it's, <laughs> and basically you have to you have to step on it on the beat uh, to yeah. move from square to square. Man. Yeah, and it makes sense because you know roguelikes are grid totally. based. So, like. Yep. Not only does it have a really great name, hmm. it also looks like a pretty interesting mix-up of two genres mm-hmm. that shouldn't go together, but weirdly enough, they do. Um, slightly off topic, but hmm. but again, important probably if you're listening to this or if you're sitting at this table, Rollers of the Realm. It was in the GD play, GDC play section. Um, it is um, – it's it's a game being – it's made in Canada. It's a former uh, Silicon Knights guy, small team. Um, it is a pinball RPG. That That is so cool. Uh, you, like so finally, Pinball Quest is going to be vindicated. Yeah. So basically like you move – I think he actually mentioned Pinball Quest when we were talking about yeah, it. So you move so. like from – you know, you're in a little medieval village and, you know, that's the first table and you're trying to, like, get past these guards. So you have to, like, build up experience points and stuff like that so you can do it. Then you go into the sewers and then between the sort of table kind of areas is – um it's like it's platforming sections that are sort of like the ball Samus sections in Metroid Prime. Hmm. So it's like – you're over here and you have to get over here by careful manipulation of, you know, bouncing it from flipper to flipper and getting it up in the area you need it to. And it's just a very straight linear section. So like – and then and then there's keys and chests on the board and you have to like pull off good skill shots to get the keys then go over to the chest. It's like taking pinball mechanics and then like doing every possible iteration on them. But it's like old school-y sort of RPG. That's – that's not misplaced nostalgia at all. Oh, you know, maybe it is misplaced nostalgia because I, <laughs> I think about pinball all the I was never good at, I'm at terrible pinball. I'm bad, but, but I love the idea of popping in a quarter and like playing a pinball machine or playing pinball based uh, yeah. video games yeah, too. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I wish I had nostalgia for Pinball Quest because I I played it recently for the Jellico issue of Scroll, and so I was like, this is like the best idea Jellico ever published. But the game is just like made of cookie crumbs. It just yeah, <laughs> I wish falls the RPG constantly. mode was better. Yeah. So yeah, to hear about that game yeah, mm-hmm. sounds good. Yeah, I never played Alien Crush or Devil's Crush. You know, back in I never never had Turbo Graphics, um, but those were two of the first you know games that I played. Um, oh, I think probably on Virtual Console when they mm. came out. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm finally going to try these. Mm. Oh, those are great. Yeah, so good. Oh, I'm, I'm glad. S- terrible, I'm not good at pinball terrible. Games. Yeah, I'm glad I never liked Sonic Spinball. <laughs> that game that was, sucked always. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, I don't under like controlling the character. Uh, just the the way you use the flippers in that game, where they're on one side of the controller, not like the standard like you know sure. left and then like right. the furthest button to the right. Sonic has to jump, you yeah. know, every blue moon in that game, <laughs> and then not well because it's a completely different physicism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ah. Genesis Aladdin or Super Nintendo Aladdin? Oh, oh boy. never played either. Oh, really? I'm gonna say Super Nintendo Aladdin. Is that is that wrong? No, I don't think it's wrong. Everyone just there was no I response. Think I think uh, Hideki Kamiya said uh, Genesis Aladdin was better, or was that because he liked the box art better? I think he. I, you mean Kami? Or Mikami, Mikami, yeah, yeah, sorry. He, yeah. yeah, he basically said, yeah, boy, it looked a lot better because of the animations. Yeah, I'll probably go with that one. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> oh, okay. Well, but uh, the Aladdin SNES uh, controlled, I mean, like, 
Aladdin Genesis was sort of like the Earthworm Jim model of like these really spindly levels that of were course. like that a lot of diagonals, a lot of yeah, tiny yeah. platforms, yeah. a lot of really bad platforming. That's mm-hmm. why I hate mm-hmm. a lot of 16-bit games. Yeah, <laughs> it, that that like style. That. I, I just don't think it's aged well. But uh, Capcom Aladdin is a very very solid like sort of like a parkour type game. Yeah, and yep. even though he d- can't use a sword, I've gotten over it in like the 20 years since it's come out. I mean, it's yeah. not it's not a big deal that he can't like use yeah. a sword. I mean, he wasn't killing people with a sword in the movie, so. I don't. Did he ever even lift a sword in the movie? I don't think so. Yeah. Maybe like. Oh wait, I no, he like broke the 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 hourglass. Or he something. wasn't like chopping heads off or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> right. Boy, if only that's yeah. what that's the difference between classic Disney and modern Disney. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Frozen, the body count. Oh my god, so low. <laughs> I do have nostalgic regrets along those lines, like multi-platform sort of things. I did mm. buy Aladdin on Genesis. I never got on Super Nintendo. Mm-hmm. I bought the Genesis version of Beavis and Butthead, which is awful. I wish I had the Super Nintendo one. Probably is that not any as better? much better. Okay. But, I was, see, know. I was jealous, right, because the Genesis version had, like, point-and-click adventure elements, and that was when I didn't have a PC, and I was sort of obsessed with it, the yeah, idea kind of, of like, though. adventure elements. Yeah. yeah. It looks like it's Beavis and Butthead thing. Virtual Stupidity, which is an actual point-and-click adventure game on PC, is actually pretty good. It's really good, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. played through it again. That's not true. Too recently. Oh, nice. Yeah. <sighs> I lent away <laughs> my copies of Virtual Stupidity and the talkie DOS version of Sam and Max. Um, <laughs> then I went to GDC and saw the talky DOS version of Sam and Max in like the LucasArts little oh, yeah. museum exhibit that was up there. And I was like, oh, yeah, I lent that to a friend and never got yeah. it back. Oh, whoops. <laughs> My God, yeah. I think he still has it. We're just not friends anymore. The talky version of Sam and Max, like CD yeah. ROM version? The CD ROM talky version, which they called it mm-hmm. for DOS. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that was like a rarity, is it? Um, it well, if I, mean, I was they, that if was, I was part to, of the Lucasfilm archive. If I was it? to buy Lucas another Arts. one, it would be like between fifty and hundred to get like the big box version that oh, I actually okay. had. Yeah, with all the, yeah. the, the okay, got yeah, it. yeah, mm, yeah, because yeah. that's the only version I played. But it came in you know the Lucas game, Lucas sure. Arts right. treasure. Oh yeah, you want to get a disc? You're fine. Yeah, yeah, okay. it's, it's, that's easy. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, geez, what was I just gonna say? Something, something. What were we talking about? Aladdin. Aladdin. Um, yeah. Ports. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I, I used Reasons. to like Mortal Kombat, but <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah same here. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I fell so out around four. Under regrets. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, regrets. Yeah. Like every bad JRPG I played from the mid '90s to the early 2000s, I think. Mm-hmm. Guardians Crusade, Grand Stream Saga. Oh, I, I never I, quite oh, went God. as low as Beyond the Beyond, but uh, that's Guardian, probably yeah. Guardians Crusade I reviewed professionally and just tore it a brand new. It is hole. so hideous for being released in like 1998. Yeah, or I, I got yeah. like yep. an hour into that and just said, Nah, nah, mm-hmm. I don't need to do this. Mm-hmm. But it was too late. I'd already paid for it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I liked it. <laughs> oh well. Night and baby. Yeah, yeah. nice baby. In Japan. <laughs> Maybe that's why I like it. There you go. Because it's called I, Night and Baby. I still remember Thousand Arms being good. I don't know if that was me or what. I'd never played localization. Anime. Yeah, it was the anime connection. I played, I don't know, I played um the 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 part of NES remix that like made me want to kill myself the most was Clue Clue Land. Oh man, for me that was Ice Climbers, but I, Oh god, I Ice Climbers that. is so bad. Yeah, it's, it's one so or the other. Terrible. It's one or the other for people. You have yeah. to really learn uh, how broken the jumps are before you can jump. It's yep, just like when yep. will I just phase through and matter even entirely? When yeah, 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 yeah. You go you go right through things and you you have to learn how to do that to do it and that you know Belmont gravity. Mm-hmm. Except for he just floats, mm, just floats. Yeah. 
for a long time and then comes down horribly. Yeah, that's another thing. It's like, uh, you know, apparently if you go by what Nintendo was pushing out there, like people were nostalgic for ice climbers. And right. urban champion, champion apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least so they – So many ways to get urban champion these days. At least they dialed back on – yeah. Well, I mean, you know what it is? It's so easy to emulate NROM games because they're so simple. Um, so, I mean, it's just so easy to throw <laughs> those on anything. You don't have to like yeah, do any tweaking paper cards whatsoever. scan. Yeah, or that. <laughs> yep. Yeah, they crammed those games into like how many kilo bits of yeah, yeah of right. paper, right? But it still leaves me wondering, like, were there that many people in Japan in 1983, 84 who actually liked it? <laughs> and you know, Urban Champion has got to be misplaced in the shelves. I have to say, everyone. yeah, because that, uh, because those games were there were so few console games available at that point, and, and the Famicom did explode in popularity, right? Like all those games from the first year or so became, I mean, that yeah, enormous sellers, and people, you know. Love and hate a lot of them. Yeah. Recently, Hideo Kojima tweeted that was his first game. I, it might have been his first console game because he was probably like 20 by the time it came out. But he he was tweeting about his nostalgia for Urban Champion. So somebody okay, so somebody one. likes it. That's one guy. <laughs> yep. yep. One famous guy. <laughs> so what yeah. did that teach him? Video games should be bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I that, did... no, that inspired the end of Metal Gear Solid 4, <laughs> Jeremy. That's ex- oh, sorry. Did yeah, I steal yeah. your joke? Okay. <laughs> Now it all makes sense. Yeah, you know the really bad, you know, one yeah, yeah. fight that was the kind of ruined the game. Mm-hmm. Man, that's, there you that's go. ten years from now. That's going to be some misplaced nostalgia. People, yeah, really. On it, there are some people who really think that's an amazing way to finish the game. Two hours such, of cutscenes. No, the, the oh, stupid the fight, fight against uh, Liquid Ocelot or whatever the mm-hmm. hell. The fight where they like couldn't that, actually use the Metal Gear theme because God. they lost the rights at that point. Or oh. yeah, it's just such a like it just pees on the entire franchise. Like here we go. 20, 20 odd years of yeah. video game history, and it all comes down to a crappy QTE fist fight that sucks. <laughs> uh, there you go. That's history for you, folks. Uh, God bless Urban Champion. <laughs> wow, we, we really wouldn't connected am- some dots today. Yeah, yeah wouldn't it be amazing that? if, like, in the middle of that fight, like, a policeman came by and Snake <laughs> and Ocelot <laughs> oh, had God. to spotted plants falling on their heads? <laughs> <laughs> Could have been better, Kojima. Could have been better. Mm-hmm. In 10 uh, years, someone should, needs to mod that or do a ROM hack or whatever. We'll, be, we'll have the technology at that point, I think. I think we could probably do a, an Urban Champion <laughs> hack now yeah. that makes the characters look like Snake and Ocelot. Oh, man, somebody do that. <laughs> uh, I think we're proving we've already played too much Urban Champion. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right? Well, I mean, they kept releasing it. You yeah. know, I've probably played more Urban... I played, no, I definitely have played more Urban Champion now As just being adult, forced yes. to from, yeah. <laughs> that, is, that is the one game I refuse to buy ever again on, on virtual yeah. console I like buy everything on virtual console but mm-hmm. no but yeah. that, that game that game can go to hell well, I bought I mean, the 3D classics version oh yeah they made a 3D, 3D classics. classics version of it that's, yeah that's the height of the Cuba thing what is wrong with Japan <laughs> yeah of all the games, yeah, of all the games. And yeah. then the next one was Kid Icarus, which was not the worst choice, but still, no, of all the games. No, actually, no. the 3D Classics version of Kid Icarus is really good. It's improved, of, yeah. Yeah, they, they tweak the jump physics, and it's so much more fun that way. Yeah, like, the game goes true. from being abusive to pretty good. You can't polish the turret that is... You can't save in uh, America, right? Like, they let you save your game in 3D Classics Kid Icarus. Yeah. You don't yeah, have to put can. in a password anymore. But... Yeah. But that does have the downside of they kept the thing where... Once you beat the game yeah. and you go through a second cycle, you keep everything. But if you don't make it to 1-2, uh-huh. then when you continue, you lose all the stuff that you have. Like you are powered <coughs> really? back down to nothing. Bad and idea. you can't go back to an old password if you save the game. So when I when I did the anatomy of a game for Kid Icarus, I made the stupid mistake of saving in World 1 after starting oh, the second no. loop. And all my treasures were gone. Oh, Jesus. Like, oh, I can't believe that they kept, of all the things to keep from the NES version, yeah. 
Why that? <laughs> Why the F you? You just beat the game. Now Now you, you saved in the wrong place, so everything is back to zero. Huh. So, so annoying. Huh. <sighs> There's some misplacements. Actually, yeah, I was bad. never nostalgic for that. That, that was I, always I always felt that Kid Icarus this was, is, uh, was, was bad. No, 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 no. I mean, I was not a fan. That aspect of the game. Oh, I just didn't like it at all. This yeah. is turning into some real therapy. I know, yeah. right? <laughs> Next time we need to bring a couch in here. I think there's just enough room over there. Some, yeah, a group hug after the show. One one last area I'd like to, to go into, and I don't know, maybe this isn't cool, but uh. things we just don't understand why other people have nostalgia for. Oh, well, I think we've was, covered a lot of that. Bad, <laughs> bad phrasing, but mm-hmm. but for me, it's um, what's a you but, know, for? I, but for? But <laughs> for? <laughs> yeah, but for me, the uh, that that would that would um come from all the British retro gaming magazines I read where people really love Chucky Egg just old <laughs> Spectrum games isometric things and I I guess I can see how that would have seemed you know something like um Jet Set Willy would have seemed right. kind of amazing in 1983 but well that's whenever man, I just I I I can't wrap my head around those games they're so they feel so clumsy and hateful whenever there's a um Whenever you do a retro gaming podcast such as this one or, or publications about retro games, there's always the contingent of people they are listening right now who are like, why don't you ever, ever talk about all the amazing retro games from the United Kingdom? And it's like, well, first of all, it was a really localized phenomenon. It was you guys in the United Kingdom – and that's it. Yes. Yeah, it's like having a food podcast and saying, "Why don't you ever talk about the barbecue scene in Houston?" Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I haven't been to Houston. I've never in a been long there, time. right? And it's like the 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 Japanese scene. We're very familiar with it because a lot of it came over here. Um, and the American scene. Well, we kind of live in it. Um, and then you know your games. It's 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 tough to go back and play a lot of this stuff. So because, hard. Yeah. 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 I mean, those computers never really left the UK. So the game right. never really left the UK. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think over there a lot of those games, you know, sold in the hundreds, maybe thousands of copies. Right. But because it was such a small, um, very insular, like literally insular uh, community, because it was all contained on this one island nation. Right. Um, it's like it's super cool that you're all like yeah, really like, nostalgic for it. It's like, yeah. No, I mean, I can, you I can guys see the didn't in- have the NES. It's like every other European country embraced the NES. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can see, you know, like how those games were formative and influential on, on, you know, things that are happening now, like Elite. Uh, mm-hmm. Kind of an amazing, ambitious game. I mean, yeah. it was basically Derek Smart before there was Derek Smart and also <laughs> not full of, it's full of crap. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, it just like even playing those games is really difficult now um, because emulation is not perfect, and it's not like you can just go pick up a Spectrum somewhere. You have to order one. They're almost always in the UK. Yes, right. If they'll even ship to the US it'll and be get it to work crazy for your TV. Expensive. Yeah, 
Like it's it's really really tough. So there's this entire you know, the scene that exists in classic gaming that's very very important and has a very local, you know, contingency uh contingent um but uh, I just I can't wrap my head around it. And mm-hmm. I apologize for that, but man, it's it's just beyond me. And it's not it's not our responsibility to wrap our head around it. No. Why not? Because God no. did not come no. down and ordain us the only people who can do a retro gaming podcast. Yes. Yep. <laughs> not yet. Yeah. Well, no, there's that. But I mean, I, you know, like to, to really understand video game history, I think it behooves us to, you know, be aware of that stuff. But of course, it's just it's just uh, yeah, I, like I've, I've tried playing some of those games. I wrote a retrospective on Jet Set Willy recently and I played a bit of it and I was just like, I, I guess I could have loved this if, you know, if I had a Spectrum in 1984, but Wow, this is it's it's just asking a lot to uh to immerse yourself into something like that now. Mm-hmm. Just yeah, because suddenly you're dead. We are we are fully divorced from the nostalgia, mm. right? It, it's so it's 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 playing some sort of an alien uh, thing and um it has to hold up now. Yeah. Mm. Well, I played The Adventures of Dizzy. That was a weird game. Yeah. <laughs> See, that made it to the NES. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. There were like Codemasters came to the U.S., mm-hmm. so there's that little bit of that's right that little British hook. How come we can't travel on that that tangent back into <laughs> yeah. the past to experience the Spectrum in all its original glory? Mm-hmm. True. Yeah. Well, we'll always have Sega. I guess. I mean, they love Sega over there. Oh yeah, that's so true. So do we. Yep. yep. <laughs> yeah. There's something. Hey. I mean, that's but yeah, like you were just saying, Jeremy. As long as there was overlap. Like if something came out in both places, then yeah, obviously the games were shared, and yeah, and yeah, I think it is worth it to step back a bit, see what we didn't get, just check it out a bit, and uh, well, yeah, sometimes it doesn't always work out, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, I can understand it for sure. I talked about it earlier in the show, but I just want to bring up my complete, like, I'm just completely baffled how anyone could actually like the Sierra catalog. Uh, I, I respect what they did. I respect you know the people who made the games, but I just feel like. They didn't actually start making games that were playable until maybe Gabriel Knight One. <laughs> I feel they they started making games that were fair, and that's. I guess I'm, it's unfair to compare it to modern standards, but everything that they made up to the point just didn't seem fair. There's a certain amount of uh, knowledge that you were not given to solve these puzzles. It was just like bashing your head against one thing or another until you stumbled across the right word, you know, with text parsers and things like mm-hmm. that. I think LucasArts um, kind of lit the path in terms of showing, like, how to do... I think they felt the same way. Yeah. You know? But it wasn't just game design. It was also just the stories just seemed so vanilla or generic. It's just like, King's Quest is your fairy tale adventure game. Police Quest mm-hmm. is your yeah. police adventure game. Well, I, I think Meanwhile, Police Quest is a good idea. Yeah, I mean, I like the idea, but... It doesn't really go very far. Yeah, like, they're... supposed to, like, LucasArts, which would get actually more creative in every aspect of right. it. Right. I like the specificity of their ideas better. It's not like you're a cop. It's like you're a teenager yeah. breaking into a mansion where there's a meteor mm-hmm. at the bottom and things like that. Or you're mm-hmm. you're a rabbit and a dog who are detectives who are trying to find Bigfoot. Things like that. Yeah. And one more thing, if I could just complain even more about yeah. scary games, is uh, uh, Laser Shoot Larry isn't funny. Uh, I like L.O. Aww. Those games aren't funny. Uh, not just because they're sexist or whatever. You can say whatever you want about that. Just like the jokes are just so awkward and like I mean, there's a certain kind of like vaudevillian quality to them that I can appreciate, like Muppet mm-hmm. Muppety type humor. Uh-huh. Yeah. But as a whole, I feel like um, 
they're, they're not funny games. I, I, I think the LucasArts— Stadler and Waldorf as perverts. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> it, it might be unfair to compare them to LucasArts because that was just an amazing group of people who were given so much free reign at the time. But it just like I can appreciate Sierra Games as these um, steps towards something greater. But I just feel like I don't get anyone who would ever want to go back and play them. And that includes like Space Quest. Like I'm so sorry, people. I don't, I don't get it. I wish I could. on the show before I definitely don't get Dragon's Lair or any of the other laser, laser disc animated game nostalgia what about Brain Dead 13 nope <laughs> <laughs> sorry I enjoy watching that game being played yeah, yeah. I mean of course because you know they, it, it was actual animation yeah that same with Dragon's Lair and all that but I just don't get how it has survived for so long maybe it is just the, uh, the plain appreciation for the quality of the animation which is well, I mean, certainly uh, valid but as games it's like I, I guess I'm just too young or something. Well, now that style of game is just integrated into the fabric of <laughs> well, AAA titles. Yeah. That's Here's what, a section where you kind of play, hit the right button. There I you mean, go. good job. That's what David Cage does, period, now, right? Not, yeah. I'm not even trying to slander him. That's basically yeah. what Beyond Two Souls is. Mm-hmm. Brain Dead 13? Uh, yeah, or Dragon Slayer, or whatever you <laughs> want to call it. Yeah, like the, yeah, the, Q, yeah. the QTA entirely based game. But will there be as. Uh, much uh, uh, long-reaching nostalgia for those <laughs> as we have now for Dragon. Will there be a mod to put uh, Princess Daphne's outfit on Ellen Page's 3D model? Yes, well, and I'm making it now. There's already, a, there's already a nude hack, so I, I imagine that won't be too hard to put clothes on her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a body double. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, that's that's another dimension of games that have really, really stayed as far as, you know, being in the consciousness of, like, you know, retro game fans. Like, I don't get it. Sorry. I do like I do although the uh, catch twenty two of that is I I do like the history of like laser discs in games and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that was an interesting way to use that technology. And, you know, that's something I like reading up on, even though the games are just I no sorry. <laughs> I think you're all drunk about Zelda two: The Adventures of Link. Also, <laughs> I think I, that's I I keep trying to play it every time they release it, and I'm like, nope, can't do it. Bye. I'm with you, Chris. Okay, great, yep. great. Uh, well, gee. No, that, I mean, that game was uh, very ambitious, had a lot of really great ideas, and also was kind of disastrous in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was some really, some really kind of chunky, sloppy design. And I, that's okay. Yeah. I wonder if a lot of the appreciation for that, at least from people who were with it at the time, was just, you know, that whole shortage thing and waiting for it, you know, for Christmas and seeing if your parents would get it or not. Maybe. No, I mean, as, but, um, as platformers went at the time, like... I'm saying that's a dimension of it. Yeah, yeah, well, maybe. But, um, you know, there was that, like, you just didn't see platform action games that also were RPGs. Yes. Like, there was, there was some really smart, innovative... Genre mixing at that point, but you know, yeah. Let it, me. It didn't. It didn't. Oh, sorry. Don't get me wrong. I do like Zelda too. <laughs> I am a bit crazy in that sense, hmm. but uh, not at first. You know, when I was a kid and first playing, I was like, no, this is this isn't the Zelda I wanted. You know, like everybody else, I'm sure. But uh, you know, after a while, getting older, I sort of appreciated it, and I did play it all the way through when it was first um, the GBA re-release of it. And uh, yeah, maybe I am crazy, but yeah. 
<laughs> Sorry, man. I know. There's so many things. I, I Yeah, I mean, that's – Zelda 2 is an example of a game where I, I really try. Every every time it gets released, I <laughs> yeah. really give it a shot. It's like, this is this is it. This is the moment. And then eventually I just had to realize that it wasn't me just like not being uh, a good enough retro gamer. You know, it's, it wasn't me not fulfilling my end of the bargain. Yeah. Yeah. It's just remove it from its time and place and it suffers. Um, I don't know how you guys feel about Secret of Mana. I think it's one of the best video games ever. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of people. I mean, I can, I can, I can tell you what the other side of the argument is. You know, I can lay right. out all of the reasons like why it is broken. Um, but don't care. <laughs> don't care at all. Yeah. yeah. I, I part of what makes Secret of Mana fun is that it is broken. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. there's all kinds of weird, unintended effects in that game mm-hmm. that, um, you know, because of the way, like, the history behind it. Um, it's just sort of a patchwork of stuff, uh, and there's there's just glaring holes that you can drive a subway car through, and mm-hmm. it's okay because generally they make it more fun or more interesting. Mm-hmm. And I like all the things that game did. So yeah, I don't I don't think that's misplaced nostalgia. Uh, but I'm see, sure there are I, people who are like, I would love to go back assholes. and actually fix it. <laughs> I would love to go back and fix that game. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, the fact you can stack magic on things, you know, and like learning the rhythm of stacking magic to get like nine 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 damage and then stop and then let the damage happen, then stack magic again, you know, to stop the boss from being able to attack you because it's in that loop. I mean, that's that's cool. The fact that the best way of raising your magic levels is to just wander outside, t- just find a town where there's, like, an enemy outside it and then wander outside and then stack magic on it um, and then go back in and refill your MP at yeah. the inn and literally just do that for hours, but then you'll juice up your magic levels so high you can just blaze through the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Like, that's... That's dumb. It would be better if it just gave you more MP and more ways to refill it and encouraged you to use magic more and make, you know, make magic less effective in battle so you're just using it constantly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if you'd actually yeah. – like if there was actually a balanced system that like let you build up your magic levels through using it while you were going through the game instead of just making you grind it. Then hit a dungeon. Well, I think the intention, save it all for the boss because it's so valuable. I think the intention yeah. was that you would uh, you you would use it as you went. But yeah, the, the resources you go. Great. You can't use it as you go. If but you use it, it as you been go, worse. you run out of magic points. Right? It could have been worse. It could have been like <laughs> Secret of Evermore, where it uses the same system except that many of the spells are based on yeah. uh, using finite resources. Ugh. So you have like super powerful magic attacks that you'll never level up. Because you can only cast them three times ever in the entire game. That game is such trash, and there's so there are so many people who are like the best trash. trash. There are so many people who are like, oh, the Mana series, yeah, my favorite is Secret of Evermore, and it's like you you should be murdered. You should be actually murdered. Chris is the Judge (laughs) Dread of uh, game credits. There is your misplaced nostalgia. (laughs) There it is. For me, I've never really been able like Sega games have never clicked with me. And I have great respect for Sega. And that's why people developer. think we hate we're at Sega all the time on the yeah. show. <laughs> but I, I, I'm, I'm respectful of Sega. You like uh, I just Monster like, World, right? Those games? Yeah, but that was West 1. Okay. I thought you meant just the Sega platform in general. Yeah. No, no. I mean like Sega's internally developed games. Like I, I think that they're really well made. And I get that people like them. But I don't know why. For whatever reason, like Sega games just don't click for me. And I think maybe it's because they are so kind of – Focused on the arcade experience, which mm-hmm. isn't really my thing. Yeah, right. yeah. But um, yeah, so many of the yeah, best like, games were brought over from <coughs> the arcades, or, or and then 
even the other games were designed as if they were arcade mm-hmm. games. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's my confession. What's yours? <laughs> You've confessed so much already. Gosh. Yeah, but that's the one that's make, likely to make a lot of people. Yeah, yes, I, do, I do want to say. Well, well, should I say for the 800th time that yes, I love Siggy games. I love a bunch of different games, of course. And you know, go ahead, listen back to like the arcade racing episode of this uh, version of Retronauts, and listen to me blow Daytona for like five minutes. Go. <laughs> <laughs> that's what that's there. Was. Yeah. I do uh, like as as a as a PSA that should have probably preceded the episode. I, I do want to point out that part of growing up is being okay with disagreeing with people, and then you know, moving on with your life. Mm-hmm. So you're wrong. What? <laughs> Uh, well, I mean about about things that are like ultimately petty and you know, yeah. yes, With, yeah, like yeah. what Zelda game you like the most or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool Video to games disagree. Are not petty. Uh, well, I, I'm just I'm just admitting that I wasted my life. So, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I've gone back, um, especially since like early Retronauts episodes where it's been like Sega. What's Sega? You know, and uh, and gone back and played all you know since then. Lots and lots of. Master System games and Turbo Graphics games and things, but you know, so I probably could talk a lot more about that these days. Actually, you know, the weird thing is, of all games that Sega developed, I mean, I, I liked a lot of stuff on Dreamcast, but before that, I actually liked Master System games a lot. It's mm-hmm. when they went 16-bit for for whatever reason. The Genesis just like I, I think the hardware is really cool. Like it looked really amazing when it was new. I love the the sound quality of the system. That that cold mechanical style. So great, but the games, like, I don't know, I just never really did it for me for some reason. There we go. You should play uh, Shinobi 3. It's secretly a Super Nintendo game hiding on a Genesis mm, card. No kidding. Yeah, I don't it's know how they pastel. did that. It <laughs> looks like a Super <laughs> Nintendo game, and it even sounds kind of like one. I don't <laughs> know. Well, I just reviewed the uh, 3D version in, like, December or whatever. It's great. <laughs> and I have known it's like a nostalgia, really, so. Well, there, there you go. Good take. So any any final final thoughts on this uh, topic don't hate us. <laughs> please, please share what. Please share your own things in the comments. Yeah, I, I, I'm curious to hear what people have to say because uh, I'm sure there are a lot of things that we love that people are just like you idiots. Yeah, I've, I've seen those comments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, you know, I think it just speaks to what we always talk about. I think a lot of Retronauts episodes all through the years have pretty much been based in a sort of emotional uh, angle. Most of them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, it's. I think this goes to show that, you know, we can have a, either a false emotion or a sort of uh, otherwise made up one towards things. And, you know, we understand where people come from on either side, I think. Mm-hmm. So much of the uh, classic gaming experience, if you were a child of the 80s and 90s, was actually not playing video games. It was uh-huh. it was because of the the media that was out there, you know, was absorbing all of this information about all of these games, and then never getting the chance to play them or or encountering them much later in life. And uh, you know, the game that you never play that isn't released is always the best game ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Before I had a home system of any kind, I loved Pac Man in the arcade, but you know, how often did I get to play that? Mm-hmm. But I could read Jeff Robin books on Pac Man anytime I wanted. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and then that fuels your imagination because there's never any screenshots in those books. So, mm-hmm. yeah, dear. All right. Well, um, so that's our misplaced nostalgia. Jonathan Anderson, I hope that you approve of our disapproval. <laughs> um, that wraps it up for this episode of Retronauts, episode 22. Um, there's like all the social media stuff that we do that you should be aware of, like Twitter, where we're Retronauts. 
and Facebook, where we're Retronauts, and Twitch TV, where we're Retronauts, <laughs> and also .com, where we're Retronauts. Mm. We're just Retronauts and, uh, everywhere. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and, and MySpace, where we're XXX, Sephiroth <laughs> with a 1, XXX. Sephronauts. Nuts. <laughs> Retronauts 420. <laughs> um, be sure to... Download us on SoundCloud or the iTunes store or whatever. Leave cool feedback on iTunes. Don't hate us too much. That more than anything. In the reviews for not liking a thing that you liked because we're all different inside. Yeah, this one should be interesting. Yeah. (laughs) One star. Just Um, please listen to every word that we are saying. (laughs) But yeah, hit the comments on retronauts.com and, uh, you know, talk about your own misplaced nostalgia. Like Mm -hmm. I'm – yeah. We're we're kind of a small group of four people here, and we kind of all know each other's tastes. Mm-hmm. So, I'm I'd be interested to get some feedback from people outside this kind of well known focus group <laughs> to see what what other nostalgia exists out there. Why am I wrong about everything? Go on, let me know. Let me have it. Um, and uh, I would was that say it? no, no uh, t-shirts. You could buy a t-shirt. Oh my god, Retronauts t-shirt. Go to fangamer. Oh yeah. And you can get yeah, we're uh, merchandised. Yeah, yeah, That's nutty. We we have uh, they're not our dinosaur t-shirts from the Kickstarter. They're the logo t-shirts. I like the logo ones better. Actually. Yeah, the I, I like them cool. both. Nick like Daniel him. drew that, right? He did both of them. Yeah, yeah, it's a good shirt. So yeah, I need to get one. I forget how much they are. I think it's like twenty bucks. But if you like to support the show, please buy one. And um, so thanks to Jonathan Anderson for uh, sponsoring this episode. Thanks to Chris Kohler for coming in. No problem. Yeah, thanks and for having me. We will be filling your ear holes again in a week, so stay tuned.